Thanks for listening to our podcast. The following is a ministry of Orchard Bible Church in Centennial, Colorado. Please join us on Sunday mornings. For more details, visit us online at orchardbible.org. I'm reading from the book of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. This is the word of God. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out into, to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's pray together. God, this morning we will spend time in your word. And we know that it's good. We know that it is perfect and that it is helpful for teaching us, growing us. But the question this morning is, are we ready to hear it? Are we ready to understand and to turn to you and away from ourselves and our sin and this world and to be healed by you. And I pray, God, through your Holy Spirit that you would work mightily in every heart here this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, chapter 13 starts Jesus' third discourse, uh, his major section of teaching. And Before we dive into it, I think it's good to reflect on the last two chapters. They've been a bit rough, haven't they? John the Baptist is doubting whether Jesus is even the real Messiah as he rots in a prison. Jesus is performing some of his mightiest miracles, but the cities in which he's doing these miracles do not repent. So he denounces them with woes of coming judgment. The jealous Pharisees are in full attack mode on Jesus and his disciples for doing terrible things like walking and eating on the Sabbath or healing a man with a destroyed hand on the Sabbath or freeing a man who's been tortured by a demon that has made him blind and mute. This, they say, is evidence that he's satanic. So Jesus publicly is now accusing scribes and Pharisees, that they are an evil and adulterous generation, so bad that even the Gentiles will condemn them. Well, at the end of this stretch, if you're one of his disciples, and you're standing there staring at the fire, cooking your fish for lunch, you've got to be wondering, what is going on? Where is this headed? Incredible miracles are being done. Fresh truth is pouring forth. Why does it seem that everyone is against us? And we Christians can feel the same way today. 
Our message, quoting from Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, is that God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. And our aim in life is to reveal Jesus in everything we do. Why don't people believe this great news? Why are they against us for it? So if you're Jesus at this moment, how do you handle large crowds of demanding, doubting people and discouraged disciples? Perfectly. That's how you handle it. Because you're God. And you switch approaches at exactly the right moment in time to exactly the right answer. You begin preaching to the people only in parables. And there are eight in chapter 13. We'll look at just one today. Michael Wilkins explains, Jesus was a master storyteller, but he was far more than that. His parables not only captivated interest, but they produced conviction and demanded a response. The collection of parables in Matthew 13 had a unique purpose in his historical ministry. With these parables, he intended to test the hearts of the crowds and force them to commit, either to be with him or against him. At the same time, he used them to unveil the secrets of the kingdom to his disciples and to communicate truth to them about its operation in this world until his return in glory. I'm going to put up a a picture now that's called a word map. And this is based on our entire text today, verses 1 through 23. The way these work is the bigger the word, the more that it's repeated in the passage. And in this word cloud, you'll see a number of simple words. Things like hear, which is the biggest word, and see and understand. Words, simple words, like soil and sown, and thorns, and parts of the body, like eyes and ears and heart. As you look at these words, they're not that complicated. In today's message for every single person here, that's you that I'm speaking to, the message really boils down to six simple words. Hear, understand, turn, and be healed. The words that Jesus tells us in the parable of the soils that we'll look at in verses one through nine are simple, but hard to understand. So he then explains the parable's purpose in verses 10 through 17, and finally he explains the meaning of the parable itself in verses 18 through 23. And it was perfect for the crowds and the disciples that day and it's perfect for us here today. So point number one in your outline, the parable of the soils. Let's read verses one through the first half of verse three, just to get the setting here. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. So first we see Jesus sitting by the lake, and then we see him sitting in a boat as large crowds build. Now our study Bible will tell us that sitting is the typical posture for teachers then, for rabbis, which is true. 
But when I read this, I also thought, Jesus sounds tired. Remember, he's 100% real human, as well as 100% God. And I thought, maybe he just wanted some alone time, just listening to the gentle lap of the waves, watching the sun that he spoke into existence as it glittered across the surface of the water, enjoying the marvelous laws of physics that he put in place and the resulting beauty of it. But the crowds pressed in, just like they do on celebrities today. Notice it's standing room only on the beach that day and the whole massive crowd packs in like at the front of a big pop concert. Okay, verse three. And he told them many things in parables, saying, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Let's start with some basics. What is a parable anyway? Well, my favorite definition is from the NIV Zondervan Study Bible. Give them credit where it's due. Parables are stories or analogies involving people and activities, and this is key, that are familiar to one's audience. But often they contain surprising twists that help listeners understand God's ways with humanity from new perspectives. John MacArthur notes that before this point in his ministry, Jesus had used analogies and pictures in his teaching, but they were already quite clear in their meaning uh, in the context of his teaching. But for the remainder of his Galilean ministry, he did not speak to the multitudes except in parables. Listen to the beautiful simplicity of how this word picture starts. A sower went out to sow. Now at this point, the audience doesn't even have to think yet. They might have seen a neighbor that morning out with a bag of seed sowing that day. The word in the Greek is derived from the quick, jerky motion of the hand. We would call this broadcast sowing. Not every seed in broadcast sowing takes root in good soil. Likely his audience would remember the feeling they had of the seeds in their own hands as they reached in and grabbed a handful and scanned the ground, casting it out evenly. You know, I did this just a couple weeks ago myself, but with grass seed, some dead patches in the lawn, maybe you did as well. I actually heard from a friend, he did that also this last couple of weeks. Well, you may never have planted seeds, you may not be a gardener, you may have no interest in it, but even you can understand the four pictures of the soils, right? Now, what they mean, not so clear, but the pictures are abundantly clear. The first soil, as he sowed, this sower put some good seeds, but they land on the hard-packed well-trodden path. Now in the fields of these farmers back then, they were surrounded, bordered with paths that were beaten hard with foot traffic and baking sun. 
Living in Colorado, this is easier than some, for some people maybe for us to understand. We know what terrible dry soil is like. If you cast some of your seeds on that, you know there's no hope for growth. Zero progress is made on the soil before the birds swoop in and devour them. The seeds are gone. The second soil, other seeds fall on rocky ground. This word here for rocky ground is the word petrode, which immediately for me reminded me of the word petra, which a lot of us know means rock. So this ground is rock-like. It's rocky, it's stony ground full of rocks. Soil, not much. And these rocks keep the seed from going in deep. It lands and it does grow, but at a shallow level. And note that it says the shallowness actually causes them to spring forth quickly. It seems almost too quick and easy. Why? Because the seed isn't growing up through the deeper soil. It's real, but it's not deep and lasting. It's alive at first, but then it's dead and gone. Why? Well, because these baby plants are burned in the heat of the sun for lack of roots. The word here is actually scorched. Think of being scorched, burned with heat, tortured with intense heat. You know, we can hear this and think of the warm, morning, gentle, cozy sun. That's not the picture here. To the young plant, as the sun comes up, it's a torture ending in death. Withered, meaning dried, wasted away, shriveled, desiccated. You know that feeling when you see one of your own plants that looks a little dry and you think, gosh, I missed watering it for a couple days. Maybe if I dump a little extra on today, it'll spring back to life. And you bend down and you grab the leaves and it just crumbles to nothing in your hand. That's the picture here of the second soil. The third soil, other seeds, different good seeds fell among thorns. This soil seems to be good. It allows deep, strong growth, but hidden in the soil are roots. What kind of roots are left there after the plowing has been done? Thorn bushes, which are wild hedges of thorns. This type of weed had strong roots, roots that steal all of the moisture from the soil, thereby choking the good plant. These plants will last a bit longer, but they'll die well before reaching maturity and bearing fruit. And then the fourth and final picture of soil, some other good seeds fell on good soil. This soil is excellent in its nature. It's genuine. It's useful, it's suitable, it's choice. Notice, this is the only of the soils to yield what the farmer desired, a crop. This parable is often referred to as the parable of the four seeds, but it's actually the parable of the six soils. Because of the good soil, we actually see that some produced a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. Now, I asked myself, you may be asking yourself, are these numbers significant to the story? Absolutely. So fascinating. The people in Jesus' audience would have been, in fact, this is probably that big surprising twist in the parable for them. They would have expected and been really happy with a harvesting ratio of eight to one. Tenfold, a banner crop. A hundredfold, 
would be an extraordinary sign of God's blessing. In fact, in Genesis 26, we read that Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. So Jesus' listeners were probably thinking as he started, okay, sower's out sowing, I get it. Some land on the hard path, nothing makes sense. Shallow rocky soil, also nothing, I get it. And those blasted weeds that we can't get rid of, of course, they choke it out. And then the good soil. I see where you're headed. Wait, a hundredfold? A 30x return at worst? And as Jesus closes, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. It's as if he's saying, did I get your attention? If you can understand this, then understand it. Now, it may be hard for all of you sitting here, many of you at least, to enter into how these listeners actually felt because this is a very famous parable, and you've probably heard it explained before. So, I have another parable of sorts, a riddle of sorts, to share with you that I hope will help you understand how Jesus' audience felt on that shoreline. It's a parable that I heard from an older, wise, godly friend a few weeks ago. Here's how it goes. A rancher in Colorado was out on his land, looking after his cattle with his beloved dog. He heard a loud yelp and the dog came running up to him with blood on his face. As the rancher looked carefully at this animal that he loved deeply, he saw a cluster of porcupine quills sticking out of the dog's face. So cradling the dog in his arms, close to his body, he took some pliers and began to remove the quills one by one. And as he did so, his dog snapped and bit him hard on the arm. He who has ears, let him hear. Now you may not understand what this means, but it should make you curious. You should want to think what is the rich lesson behind the familiar but surprising picture. You see, you and I should be like John Watson. You know, like us, Watson is slow to catch on and confused regularly, but he is in awe of Sherlock, and he wants to understand and help. The Gospels are great because they have Jesus in them and also these lovely disciples who, like us, are slow to understand and often of little faith but they are in awe of Jesus. They want to understand and to follow. And so in our next two sections, thanks to them, Jesus graciously, graciously provides the parable's purpose and explanation. So let's look now at the parable's purpose. And in fact, you'll find that the purpose of this parable is the purpose of all of Jesus' parables because as we'll discover, the parable of the soils is in a sense a parable about parables, as the New Bible Commentary insightfully adds. Now, don't let that blow your mind. Just stay with me. Point number two, the parable's purpose. Verses 10 through 17, let's read. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. 
For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly, I say to you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, and did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. So in this section, we're now away from the crowds. We're back in the intimate setting with Jesus' true followers. And he answers their question, why are you only teaching in parables now? And note the verb tenses here, even if you're normally not into that. To you, it has been given to know the secrets. The Greek word there is mysteria of the kingdom of heaven. And for the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But to them, it has not been given. And from the one who has, not even what he has will be taken away. So these verbs are in the perfect passive indicative and future passive indicative tenses. That doesn't mean anything to you? Me either. Let me explain. Jesus is emphasizing here that God graciously works to open our understanding of spiritual truth. We are the recipient of the action. It's been done to me, and it will be done for me. When I understand and believe, it's because God has given it to me, and I will have spiritual life in abundance, more than enough. The picture here is of a measure of something that's been filled and packed and refilled till it's overflowing. But to many, it is not given, and they will reap the natural consequences of their own unbelief and rebellion, spiritual blindness. The message paraphrase of the Bible actually expresses this idea very well. It says, when someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, then any trace of receptivity soon disappears. Now, cartoons that we may see are pretty good analogy of this or a riddle that we're told. Both good analogies, but my absolute favorite is the auto stereogram. Now, full disclosure, this whole room is about to feel a mixture of either thrilled euphoria or distress, frustration, and confusion. So don't let that catch you off guard as we show you this image here that we'll put up. Let me describe this image to you. In 1991, computer programmer Tom Beckay and artist Sherry Smith created the first color random dot auto stereograms, later marketed as Magic Eye. I remember first seeing a picture like this in a large format in the mall. Now, I remember standing there, staring at this picture with my friends, 
crossing our eyes over and over or trying to look at a wall behind it or a reflection in the glass. And I saw nothing. But suddenly, the person next to me exclaimed with glee, I see it! And I began to panic. Are my eyes and brain ever going to see this thing? What is it? And then I remember suddenly it was there. And in this one I saw there were like three kinds of dinosaurs. And I remember the circular sun up in one corner in incredible 3D. And I shouted, I see it! I'm sure much to the terror of everyone else who was still standing there crossing their eyes just seeing random colors. But there was no question for me that it was there because I asked my friend without telling him, what do you see? Dinosaurs and a sun. It was there. Jesus is saying that that's what the secrets of the kingdom of heaven are like. And using the prophecy of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10, he says that the crowds have ears that hear, but they don't understand. They are staring. They don't see it. Their hearts are covered in calluses. They're not soft anymore. Now, this might be you. I don't mean to offend you, but people who struggle with autostereograms don't see these. What do they end up doing? Refusing to try, right? These things are dumb. These are stupid. <laughs> Whatever little they saw is taken away. God first shared these words that Jesus quotes in a vision with the prophet Isaiah. He was telling them that his ministry would actually harden his people. And it would result in mass devastation, leaving the land a desolate waste with only a remnant. Less than 10% of the people of Israel would be saved. And that prophecy was fulfilled physically in Isaiah's day. Well, Jesus now is saying that as the crowds around him reject his message, that this prophecy, these words are again being fulfilled. But this time, the devastation is eternal. Why? Because he's the only one who can heal their broken souls. But they refuse to hear it and believe. Commentator Dan Doriani's examples are excellent and helpful. So let me share this paragraph from him. It's so good. This seems harsh, unfair, he says. But it actually rests on an undeniable principle. The more truth one has, the more he can learn. You cannot explain football line play, trap blocks, and blitz pickups to an elderly woman who isn't quite sure what the line of scrimmage is. You cannot explain reduction sauces to a young man who doesn't know how to boil water. But a professional football player and a professional chef can quickly grasp and assimilate highly sophisticated instructions in their field. Likewise, we cannot explain the deep truths of the kingdom to people who deny the first principle, that Jesus is Lord and King. If a man denies this, he can watch a miracle or hear a parable and gain nothing from it. Today, one can hear the finest sermons or moral instruction, but without the first principle, it makes little sense. 
It is taken away. If listeners deny that Jesus is the Savior, they lose the first principle of God's grace. At most, they will call Jesus a teacher or a healer. But if we know the basics, we can add far more knowledge until we have an abundance. If we grasp the first principles, we can gain more. I took the title for this sermon from the last line of this prophecy that we've just read. Because in it we see that Jesus is not a neutral observer in this. In this quote we see the heart of Jesus, the heart of the Father, and the heart of the Spirit. If we work from the, the end backwards, we see that Jesus is ready to heal them. This is his posture, ready to forgive. And that God desires that the crowds turn from the world and sin and run to him. And he knows that they must understand and believe deeply in their hearts if they are to let go of everything else and cling to him. But they would need to be listening and looking carefully at his words. So he tests them with parables to see who will hear, understand, turn, and be healed. That is the parable's purpose. Blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 16. Blessed not just because you're hearing and seeing Jesus, everyone in the crowd got that, but because you are seeing and hearing all the way to your soul. How special is this blessing to those who really hear and believe? Well, it's as if Jesus pauses and emphasizes here, truly, I say to you, this right now, this is a special moment. Don't miss that. Many of God's followers dreamed of getting to experience what you're experiencing right now. I encourage you, don't miss that in your own life this morning. Maybe your soul has truly understood the secrets of life in Jesus for many years, or maybe you've heard these things for years, and by God's loving kindness, you will understand it for the first time today. But in either case, yours is the highest blessing, the greatest gift from God. And it is his deep joy to give you this extravagant gift. So we've heard the parable of the soils in verses 1 through 9. And we now understand the parable's purpose from verses 10 through 17. We're finally ready to hear the parable explained in verses 18 through 23. Tell us, Jesus, what is your parable of the sower and the seeds and these soils mean? Point number three, the parable explained. Hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus says. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So very clearly here we see the seeds being sown are a picture of the word of the kingdom. The good news of Jesus is what's being sown. 
And the heart of the person who hears those words is the soil. Sometimes the word will land on hearts that are like a concrete path. They won't even make a dent. But Satan, the evil one, will snatch away, will plunder, will take by force what has been sown in the person's heart. What about the next soil? Look at verse 20 and 21. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This person's heart seems to believe the word. They immediately receive it with joy and it sprouts up quickly. The person seems to be a Christian, but their heart is like thin, rocky ground. The truth actually has no root in their heart. How do we know? Because when hardships arise because of that word, they immediately fall away. It seems to me that this person is holding onto a mixture of real promises and some false ones. They're pumped at what the word says. They embrace it. But when fiery troubles, persecution surprise them, it weakens them. It makes them realize, now this word isn't what I had hoped for. It's not as good, as exciting as I thought. And they immediately fall away. As John MacArthur explains, some people make an emotional, superficial commitment to salvation in Christ. But it is not real. They remain interested only until there is a sacrificial price to pay. And then they abandon Christ. Let's look at the third soil. Verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This third type of heart takes in the gospel, makes a profession of faith. The person continues in Christian circles or activities longer than the second group did, but some mixture in their life of worldly anxiety, the negative things that are happening or could happen to them. Mixture of that and worldly promises, the lies that are offered by wealth, eventually overcome their trust in God and his promises. You see, they're chasing peace and joy, but Jesus says they instead prove unfruitful. Two other translations say of this heart, it yields nothing. No fruit is produced. Again, I love MacArthur's clear summary of this type of heart. A professing believer who is unconcerned about sin in his life and does not hate evil and love righteousness gives strong evidence that the soil of his heart is weedy. He will eventually discover that his love of the world and his identification with Christ's word cannot coexist. If his faith is genuine, he will forsake the world. If it is not, his sin will choke out what knowledge of the word he has. Now from these pictures we see that the good news dies in most hearts, just like most seeds that are scattered. But we finally get to the explanation of the good soil. What makes it different? Verse 23. 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. It's important to note, here we see a person who could be just as sinful, maybe even less moral and respectable. Maybe they have a lower IQ or less education, whereas many who don't believe are quite intelligent and trained. The difference is that this person's heart has been prepared, like that soft, rich soil, and they receive the gospel into the deepest part of their being, and it yields an overwhelmingly abundant harvest. Because the only barrier to salvation is unbelief, and real repentance is self-evident by its rich harvest. Three bad soils yielded no fruit, and three good soils resulted in fruit. Note that all believers are not equally fruitful, but all are richly fruitful. Being able to understand and interpret the spectrum of responses from human hearts to this good word going out is so important to us as followers of Jesus, just as it was to those disciples, that Jesus has spelled it out for us. So let's spend our remaining time this morning applying that parable to ourselves. Point number four, the parable applied. I'd like you to imagine, as you sit there, that you're holding a big terracotta pot on your lap. Okay, can you do that? The word of the kingdom, the secrets to kingdom life, have been planted right here today, right now. God's word, the seed, is good. Its goodness is not in question. So what we must do is each of us look down into our terracotta pot. What kind of soil do you see there? What kind of heart have these life-giving seeds landed in? Have you developed a layer of dry rock-hard ground like concrete around your heart? Does God's word even make a dent in the way you think, the way you live? Are you drawn to take a closer look at the mysterious picture? Or have you made up your mind, sticking your fingers in your ears, closing your eyes tightly so that you won't be forced to look face-to-face -face at God and deal with your guilt. Jesus warns you just how precarious your position is. Soon, he says, the evil one will swoop down like a bird and snatch that truth out of your heart that's been planted. And you'll be more convinced than ever that it's stupid. If there's any softness in that soil this morning, then ask the Lord to open your ears, to open your eyes and your heart, to let his word in deep into your heart before it's too late. If you ask, he will answer your prayer. Hear and understand and turn 
and be healed. Do you see a little bit of shallow soil in your pot, but mostly rocks in your heart? Maybe you're excited to know that there's a God who loves you and loves the world. You like being surrounded in this church by all these nice people. This is different than the world out there. Maybe this is what you've been looking for. But then you start thinking about telling your family, your coworkers, your close friends, your neighbors, that you're changed forever, that you can't join in the old way of life that you used to share with them. Maybe you even test it out on a person or two and your worst fears are confirmed. They reject you, shame you in some way, or mock you. And you think, it's not worth it. It seemed nice, but this heat is painful. It's too much. I beg you, act quickly. The sun is scorching your tender faith. You need God's word to grow deeper roots in your life, in your heart. Pray. Pray to him that he protect you in the day of fiery trial and make your faith stronger. Hear. Understand. Turn and be healed. Maybe you're looking into your heart, sitting there on your lap, awkwardly, and you see good soil. It's, it looks good. It's soft. You can feel that. There's no rocks in sight. You call yourself a Christian. You come to church. You even read your Bible some. But is it possible that there are roots of thorn bushes hiding in your soil still? How will you know? Well, Jesus says that when earthly cares come up in your life, they get all the attention, all the water. When you're in distress, you don't spend more time praying to the Lord. You spend less time with him, less time in the word, and more time stressing out about how to fix it on your own. When a financial choice comes up, there's always a smart reason to make more money, to keep the money, to spend the money on you. Now, you may not realize it, but your spiritual life is actually being strangled and in time will ebb away with no lasting fruit. Ask the Lord to tear out the thorns, to help you fix your eyes on him when the scary stuff comes up in life and when the shiny stuff comes into your life. He is sufficient to care for every need in, your, in this life that you will ever face. You need not be anxious. And the promises that he has for you in Christ are of a wealth, eternal, and so greatly outweighing anything you could ever run after here. Hear and understand, turn and be healed. As you look down at your heart, I know many of you see the fruit that John the Baptist spoke of. Fruit in keeping with repentance. No fiery attack can destroy. No care, no earthly desire can distract you because your sins are forgiven and you belong to God now. Life has been harder than you imagined, than you hoped, but you love and you know your Savior more today 
Not less than when you first believed. You have been given the gift of understanding. So each day you grow richer. Thank the Lord this morning for being so blessed by him, so abundantly fruitful, though you've done nothing. I've done nothing to deserve it. But also remember that there are three good soils that bear fruit. Don't be content with 30-fold. Don't kick back. Pray for and apply the same lesson every time the word of God strikes your ears the truth of the kingdom, to hear again, to seek to understand, and to turn. We have to actually turn and be healed. Finally, brother and sister, don't be disheartened that so many of the people you care about reject this truth that you see and that you love. Jesus knew that we needed to see the hearts the way he sees them, for the gate is wide. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. So don't be discouraged. But also don't be disinterested. Remember that Jesus wept over every lost heart in Jerusalem. God sent his only son to live and to preach and to die as our substitute. That as many as possible would be saved. And he saved you to be a sower. So go out, boldly sharing the gospel everywhere you can. Pray that the Holy Spirit would go before you, preparing the soil. Learn from this that the burden, the pressure, it really isn't on me today up here as the sower. It's not on you as you go out and share, as long as you're actually sharing. The burden, the pressure, is really on God to go before you and prepare the soil to receive these seeds of truth that we scatter. So take heart and be motivated by that. Many will not understand, will not turn and be healed, it's true. But like Paul says in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are the people in your life to believe if they, of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Let us take these things to heart this morning. Will you please stand with me and let's cry out to God as we close that he would bring an abundant harvest in each of our lives and through us in the world. Lord Jesus, thank you for this parable and thank you for explaining it and thank you for telling us how hearts work. That on the one hand, it's fairly simple and binary we either take your truth in and we base our whole lives around it or we reject it. But that the responses we see in our own lives and the lives of people around us are, are varied, are complicated, but that it'll always end in death. No fruit unless we take it in. And we pray, God, that you would use us. Use us to sow these seeds and go out Holy Spirit before us preparing the soils.